0: Good morning. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you this morning. We thank you for the privilege of giving toward your kingdom. We pray that you will bless this offering that has been given. Just now, God, we once again thank you for your word. We thank you that it's always living and active and cuts us like a double-edged sword if we let it, and I ask that you will help us all, me included, to let it cut deep today. We want, to, we want to submit to everything that you want, God, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're about halfway through our uh, walk through Authentic Faith this year, and um, just in case you missed the first couple of weeks, I want to tell you a little bit about, about my coffee addiction. I know there's probably not much of a, a connection there, but it's a good way, I think, to, to explain how Authentic Faith works. There's been a couple of days this past uh, couple of weeks when i i just couldn't make it through the day i was just so tired stayed up too late got up too early what, what just getting old whatever it is i just somewhere in the middle of the day and i knew from experience that if i could get some really good coffee maybe with an extra shot of espresso in it I'd be good for the rest of the day. And so I believed in this so much, my faith was so strong that I was willing to take about 15 to 20 minutes, actually get out of my office, get in my car, go down to the new Our Town coffee shop just down the road. By the way, if you haven't been there, you should support it. I'd like there to be a coffee shop staying in Kingston for a while. They're not giving me any free coffee. This is just me, but it'd be nice if you support them. I believed so much that that's what I needed, that I was willing to drive down there, take some time, hand them almost three dollars for one cup of coffee, which was a large, really nice cup of coffee, by the way, with an extra shot of espresso, come back. My faith was authentic for two reasons. Number one, that coffee and that espresso delivered. Every time I've done that this week, I made it through the rest of the day. What it said it would do, what I hoped it would do, what I was willing to bet and pay money that it would do, it actually did. That means it's authentic. Our faith in Jesus is authentic that way because Jesus is always true, always real, always reliable. My faith was also authentic. Is the only way I found out for sure was I actually bet my own time and my own money and my own energy on my faith. That's what authentic faith is. At the bottom line, I'd love for you to go back and check out the other messages on morrisonil.com in this series because they literally do build on each other. Uh, you're, you're definitely missing some specific things uh, that I barely refer back to, but that's the bottom line, and we're just going to jump in. So this is a series called On the Rock, and it's, it's based on Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, and that's where Jesus said uh, people who base their lives, actually literally build their lives on his words, are like wise people who build houses on rock. They dig down to the foundation. And then when the storms of life come, when the floods rise, their houses will stand. Not because of how good they are at building houses, but because of the foundation that they chose. And this, is, this parable, it's always important, always important, always important to go back and see the context if we really want to understand God's Word. So I want to do that even with this one today. I know you've heard it several times. But this is Jesus' conclusion. This is his altar call to the Sermon on the Mount, his, his signature sermon. A lot of the stuff in the Sermon on the Mount is also almost verbatim in some of the other gospels It's hinted at. It's referred to everywhere. But Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is right there. That's that's the big stuff that Jesus says. Uh, Not too long ago, we had uh, Billy Clark from Smoky Mountain Christian Camp gave us that sermon verbatim because he's memorizing the whole thing. It was incredible. It was powerful. It was cool. But this little parable is at the end of that. That's how Jesus wrapped up. And right after that, the very next verse is Matthew writes this. Not every, uh, I'm sorry. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their religious teachers. Now, I need you to know about these re- teachers of religious law. They were completely different from Jesus in almost every way. They ended up being the people who killed him. And I think most of you know most of that story. But here's what I need you to notice about the big difference these people were noticing that day. When they spoke about God, when they spoke about keeping God's laws, here's what they were aiming for. This was the bullseye of their target. They wanted people to go, wow, those guys really understand the word of God. Man, they keep those laws well. I could never keep those laws as well as those guys. I'm not even gonna try. I'm just gonna make sure those guys stay in power because my goodness, they're awesome. That's all they wanted. Jesus, on the other hand, when he spoke, he didn't care what they thought about him. He said stuff all the time that offended people, but here's what he wanted. He wanted them to obey. He wanted them to actually do the things he said to do and stop doing the things that he said to stop doing. He expected them to obey, to actually change, to actually learn, to actually become a different kind of person because they had literally built their lives step-by-step, choice-by-choice on the things he had just said. And when you hear Jesus' words, you can feel that. You still with me? Is this making sense? Awesome. And, 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 and in case, again, the context. That's what Matthew is telling us at the very end. That's like his little, his little signature at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But look at the words right before that. This is Jesus himself talking. And if you don't get the context of this any better than this, this will make it absolutely clear. Right before he gave that little story, here's what he said. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. It's one of the scariest spots in the Bible. To me, all the spots in the Bible that are super scary are like this. They all have to do with Judgment Day, and they all have a common theme. A lot of people aren't going to make it that think they are. That's why we're always measuring our stuff against our our beliefs, our ideas, our opinions, our tastes, everything. We need to keep measuring it against the standard that Jesus himself gives us. Because we're not going to get into heaven someday based on anything that we do or anything that we think or anything that we like or don't like. We're going to get into heaven based on what Jesus said and based on the sacrifice that he made. Now, just in case you think that um, this idea, this main idea today, teach them to obey. Again, we're walking through, step by step, we're walking through the Great Commission. We've already had go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, Baptize them in the name of the Father and the, uh, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now today, we are teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. But just in case, I want to make sure that you understand. This applies to you. You personally may not see yourself as a teacher or a preacher. And you may go, oh, this one isn't for me. Kind of like, you know, sometimes when, when it's Mother's Day and the preacher goes, hey, today this is especially for mothers. And everybody else goes, mm-hmm. Don't do that. Here's why. If you're following along with your uh, handout, you don't all have to do this, but any note takers, we provide this. It does also, I always give you a few more extra scriptures to look up when you go home, but I'm going to give you the blanks for this first one. Teach doesn't mean do what I'm doing right here necessarily. It doesn't necessarily be the one at the front of the room presenting stuff. Here's what it means. It means help someone learn and change. To teach means to help someone learn And change and at any given time all of us as we go through life are both students and teachers every day that's central to that on that we talked about that on the day we talked about discipleship at any given moment we're all following somebody and we're all leading somebody whether we like it or not whether we're doing it on purpose or not whether we're doing it well or not this is just how life works we also we all need help from God we all need help from others And again, we're always teaching something. But Here's the thing. Sometimes we're kind of accidentally teaching. Sometimes we don't mean to be teaching. Sometimes when we're teaching our kids laziness, it's not really like we're trying to. We're just being lazy and they go, oh, that's how dads do. That's how moms do. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times it's unintentional. But there are things that we do very intentionally and we care a lot more about those. And I think that's a window into how we need to treat the things Jesus said. Here's one that all parents will understand. When you teach your kids how to drive pretty stressful, right? That, that's a rough moment. It's a rough moment for everybody. And if you remember back when in, anybody that's already driving, maybe you don't have kids that old yet. Maybe you, you remember when you were that kid. It's always stressful. It's, 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 a rough, it's a rough moment. There's a lot of fear involved for everybody involved. There's a lot of trust and issues trying to learn trust, trying to earn trust. Try, it, it's, a, it's a complicated situation. Tonight, just in case, here's an invitation. Uh, We do a thing called discipleship groups down at the Teen Center. And this is for anyone from sixth grade and older that wants to be part of this. It's a multi-generational thing that we do. And right this minute, one of the things we're doing is offering the chance for people to ask their questions and say, how how do we do this? And the question that God asks that will be answered tonight is, how do I have a better, healthier Christian relationship with my parents? So you parents and teens, I'm just saying you might want to be there tonight, but here's a little window into it. One of the best ways to do this is is to make sure, even if the driver is completely wrong and the teacher is completely right, which I'm not saying that ever happens, I'm just saying let's imagine, even if, the best way to teach something is to work together. Anytime you go, you better listen to me, young man. You better you better blah, blah, blah. The, the, the walls all go up. You know what I'm talking about? But if you say, look, somehow, somehow or another, in the next couple of weeks and months, you're going to be a great driver. I need you to do all the stuff that you're going to do. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Please give me grace. I'm scared to death. Do you know what I'm saying? That, that, that's a good model. This, is a, this idea of partnership, this, this idea is a very effective way to teach anybody anything. It's one of the things that helps people want to learn, want to change. It actually works. Paul uses this partnership imagery when he wrote to the Corinthians. First Corinthians was a letter written to a church that was messed up. They were going through some serious issues at that time. And Paul is literally writing the New Testament. Okay, so he's pretty close to God at this moment. Okay, First Corinthians is originally a letter written by this guy named Paul, and but the Holy Spirit is inspiring it. So it, it, Paul could, on human standards, he could be taking this real arrogant kind of a spirit and saying, "Guys, you guys are just wrong. Listen to me. I'm Paul the Apostle." Okay, blah blah blah. But listen how he talks to them. I love this. First Corinthians one nine, God is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose." Well, we, could, we could go all day long. We could go weeks and months on those themes. It's just that, the stuff he says right there. But again, I just want you to notice this morning, notice the spirit in which he attacks these massive problems. He treats them kind of like peers more than anything. My dear brothers and sisters. But he appeals to the authority of Jesus. And he's expecting them to obey because it's Jesus. It's not his opinion. He's pointing them to the actual words and the actual authority of Jesus. And so he expects it to get done. The stuff that he's trying to get them to do, he expects them to obey. And if you're still following along, that's the next thing here. Obey means get it done. Francis Chan tells a hilarious story. I won't, I won't, he tells it, well, you should look it up on YouTube, but I'll just give you the idea. He, he says when he tells his daughter to clean her room, he doesn't want her to come and say, hey, dad, I learned how to say clean your room in Greek and in Hebrew. You want to hear? He doesn't want her to say, hey, me and my friends just had a Bible study last night about the best possible ways to clean your room. He says I want her to clean her room that's why I say clean your room and that's exactly how God is with us of course we need to study of course we need to dig deep of course we need to ask the questions and figure out how it applies but the bottom line if Jesus is the one we're following we're following Jesus and he expects us to get the stuff that he says to do done in the midst of all this kind of stuff, one of the things that always helps get things done is fear. Another thing is trust. Does this sound familiar? Anybody who's a parent, anybody who's a boss, anybody who's a teacher, anybody who's anything at all that ever you're trying to influence somebody. Hopefully, you, hopefully you're not just totally relying on trying to make them scared of you. That rarely works that well, but there's got to be a healthy fear, some sort of respect over and over. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We don't respect his authority unless there's a little bit of fear there, but there's also got to be some trust. For all of us human beings, we absolutely have to earn it. God has already done a lot of stuff to earn it, and if you give him the chance, he'll earn it little by little for you as you build your life on him step by step. But fear and trust are always involved. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy named Abraham. I think you heard him in, um, in a second. Where's Denny? We are listening to the same person, man. I don't, I don't know where he went this morning. But my goodness, this is pretty cool. But anyhow, early in the life of Abraham... God made his first covenant with him. This is when he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. All nations of the world will be blessed through you. He made him all these awesome promises. You're, you, you won't be able to count your children and grandchildren any, any more than you can count the stars in the sky, the sand in the seashore. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. He gives him all these awesome blessings. And then, and then God says something, and I'm not trying to be crude. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? Then he says, and here's the sign of the covenant. You have to circumcise yourself and every other person, every other male in your entire community. Now, can you imagine those conversations? Can you imagine? I mean, I'm not not in a crude way, but seriously? Can you imagine if somebody says, hey, listen, I've been talking to God. He's doing some great things right now. I need your help. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You talk about how much did Abraham have to fear God? How much did Abraham have to trust God to do that kind of surgery on himself as as an aged adult man and go around and somehow convince every other man and every other boy and every other male child in his entire community to do this, just as a sign of a covenant to God. How much did he have to believe That's incredible. And thank God we're not saved by works. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Colossians 2.11, though, it uses the same imagery and twists it into the New Testament version. I like this. Colossians 2.11 says this. Actually, would you guys read this part with me? I'd I'd like to hear your voices, and I want to make sure this really sticks in your head. For you, I'm sorry, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical process. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Again, you're hearing about baptism, not because I'm really just... Want to talk about it because it's everywhere in the Bible. It's a pretty clear thing if you uh, missed last week You can look online still have some copies of this uh, My goal is just that you know exactly what the Bible actually says about baptism and make your choices based on that But even more I don't know if this is correct English, but I'm pretty sure it's not but I'm gonna use it anyway Please give me grace baptism is everywhere in the Bible imagery or actual commands but just this idea of fear and trust you do anything baptism or anything else out of fear and trust in god that's even more everywhere okay so any english people sorry about that one but it's true it's just everywhere in every single time baptism is mentioned it's the same basic idea ecclesiastes 12:13 read this one aloud with me too if you would Ecclesiastes 12 13 says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. So again, if, if this is so important, this needs to be like helping your kid learn to be a safe driver. Is, this, is that metaphor making sense? It's got to get done. You have to do whatever it takes so that this actually gets done. The commands of Jesus have to be learned. So it's important to know how people learn. One way we learn best is by example. Participation is another one. Another is repetition. God knows all of those things, and that's why in your, in your bulletin insert, there's a couple things I'm just going to refer to. We won't have time today to walk through all of these, but hopefully it sounds familiar. Hopefully you'll go back and read those passages later today. But in Exodus 12 is one of the few times where God actually says why he does something. And that's a pretty cool moment. That doesn't happen a lot, honestly. But in Exodus chapter 12, he's just finished telling them about how to do the Passover celebration every year. And then he says, and one of these days, here's why. One of these days, you'll be doing that, and your children will ask, why do we do this Passover? And you will be able to say, because God passed over the Is- houses of Israel when he delivered us from Egypt. He actually says, I know, this, they learn by example, they learn by repetition. One of these days, they're going to ask you, because you do this all the time. So again, again, it's why we do communion so often. God loves those kind of things. In Deuteronomy 6, it's in the middle of a whole bunch of rules. And and he knows that they're not going to be able to remember all of them, let alone follow all of them. But he's expecting them to. And so he says something to this effect. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, on the road, going to bed, getting up. Put reminders on your head, hands, your forehead, your doorposts, your gates. They took it all seriously. They actually wore stuff on their foreheads. They actually made marks on their gates and on their doorposts. That really wasn't literally what God was going for. He was saying, do whatever it takes. Maybe to us, he would say, put some post-it notes up. You know, send yourself some reminders in your phone. Get it on your Google calendar. You know, you've got to make sure this stuff happens. And again, thank God we're not saved by works. And yet... In the middle of Jesus' great commission, this is what he says. Teach these new disciples to obey all that I have commanded you. So we've already unpacked a little bit here this morning. Uh, Teach means help someone learn and change. Obey means get it done. Here's what all means. All. It's that simple. Bottom line, Jesus does give us the choice to follow him or not. But if you choose to follow Jesus, he doesn't give you the choice to follow which of his commands to follow. If you make the, follow, the choice to follow Jesus, to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, I am a Christian named after Jesus Christ. I am a follower of Jesus, that means you follow all the things that he has commanded. There, we don't get to say, well, I really like this one. I've got some issues with this one. I'm going to kind of back off on that a little bit. You either follow or you don't. All means all. Make sense? Just going to move on from that one. I think you guys got that. That's awesome. As Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, he writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is useful for this stuff. He says all scripture is inspired by God. Uh, I love love one translation. It says God breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach, to rebuke, and correct. Now in context, again, always look at the context. I want to make sure you understand. We're going to leave that up there for just a second. Only a second. I want to make sure you guys get this. When Paul was writing that to Timothy, the New Testament was being written. He was actually like, that letter to Timothy was part of the New Testament. So what he's telling Timothy is, hey, listen, you have the apostles teaching. Everybody's hearing that right now. In the, in, the, in the early church, all the apostles were telling everybody, the ones who hadn't already been killed, they're all telling what Jesus had said and done. They're all sharing God's plan. They're all spreading the news. He said, I know you got that. I know you've got all the stuff I personally told you. But don't forget, Timothy, all scripture. He's talking about the Old Testament at that point. All scripture is useful for this. The Psalms and the Old Testament stories about Moses and Abraham and all those guys and, and, and the, the prophets, all their prophecies and all the poetry and the songs and Psalms and all the, all the wisdom and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the, the love song and song and song. The whole thing is inspired by God, Timothy. It's all useful. Don't, don't stop using that. It's all there. If ever there was a moment in history where you'd be tempted to just go, I'm just gonna do what Jesus said. You know what I'm saying? It'd be that. And even then, he's saying, no, 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 it's all. So once again, in that spirit, I want to recommend two things. We give you a free gift every month. Uh, Morrison Hill subscribes to a thing called Right Now Media. And I know a lot of you guys already study God, God's Word all the time. And if you do that, you just keep doing what you're doing, man. Okay? I'm telling you. If you've got a rhythm, go for it. But some people need a little bit of help or a little bit of a nudge. And some people just really want to study deep on something they've never studied before. And I highly recommend all of those whenever you need them. If you logged on right now to com and signed in for free, that's absolutely free. The, uh, this is the menu you'd see when you hit right now, menu, it'd say Morrison Hill Christian Church in a little box. And one of the first slides that's going to pop is this, this Bible study by Matt Chandler. He's one of my favorite speakers. And that's, that study, incidentally, it's what's on there right now. I did not plan it. But it's about Psalm 119. If you don't know what Psalm 19, 119 is about, it's David's love letter to how Scripture guides our lives. It's absolutely the whole psalm is about that. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's a really cool thing. It's a really great study. Another great study that I'd highly recommend that totally harmonizes with what we're doing here together, and if you don't know that much about it, or you're just interested, is there's a, ser- there's a series by Dr. Tony Evans. I, I, another one, I, I like him personally. I like him even better than, than Matt Chandler. He's just incredibly insightful, so clear, so powerful uh, of a speaker. But he's got a brand new study on the Gospel of John. And of all the Gospels, John focused most on what Jesus himself said and did. I mean, they're all about that, but John kind of gives us an even kind of zoomed-in view of Jesus. He filled in all the stuff that the other guys didn't say, and, and there's so much goodness in that. So if, 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 you, if, if I'm sitting here saying, you need to do everything Jesus commanded, and you're going, I'm not even sure I know what all he commanded, You can just get out your Bible. You can read any of it. You can just start reading. But this is a shortcut. I'm offering it to you. Move on. Commanded means commanded. Another simple one. These aren't suggestions. These aren't good ideas Jesus is offering us. He's not saying, hey, you know what? Um, It'd be awesome if you actually consider that these things I'm telling you today might be true? That'd be great. That's never Jesus. He says, I command you to do this. I command you. It's not an accident that the, the first thing he said in the Great Commission, we're about to read it together again this morning. I literally want you to memorize this. I want every single person in this church to know this by heart by the time we're done with this series. We're going to read it together again. It's no accident that the first couple words are, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, therefore. He expects us to obey it. He's pulling the I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords, most powerful person ever, boom, card. Now. So think about that as we say this together. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the end of the age." So again, as we continue to build our lives on his teachings like he told us to you in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 29, I want to end with a story. And you've already, I, we did not plan this. This, this. this just blew my mind that this was also part of our communion thing. But not only did Abraham, when he first made his covenant with God, do something that's just horrific to me, unbelievable to me, God took it to the next level near the end of his life. And this is one of the best examples that I've ever seen in Scripture or anywhere of what it looks like to fear God and to trust God more than you fear anything else or care about anything else in the world. Now, I'm not going to read you the whole story. I put it in here. It's in Genesis 22. You already heard a little bit at the communion table. Please go home. Please read. Not right now. When you go home, please read Genesis 22 for yourself and actually just meditate on that and let God speak to you. But for those of you that already know this story from hearing it this morning, you've read it before, here, here's what I just want you to do. I want you to imagine what this must have been like because this is a perfect pit, picture of what it looks like to obey God. Sometimes God will ask you to do things that are easy. Sometimes he'll ask you to do things that are fun, that make total sense, And sometimes he's going to ask you, just like he asked Abraham, to do some stuff that doesn't make much sense at all or is absolutely horrific. And the only way you can obey is if you just completely obliterate anything left of you and just submit. Imagine what it would be like to tell Isaac it's time to go make a sacrifice. They were used to doing this all the time. And the first time he says, Where's the lamb? You, oh, we don't, we don't need a lamb today. Imagine what it was like when the servants come up. All this is in the story, it's straight out of scripture. The servants come up and say, "Sir, do you need, do you need a lamb?" And he goes, "No, God, God will provide. God will provide a lamb." Can you imagine what that must have been like for Abraham in those moments? Because we look back and we know the end of the story. We already know. We not only know that God sent a ram to save him. Not only that, it was a picture of what God went through when Jesus died on the cross. It's a picture of trust. It's a picture of everything else. We can look back and we go, oh yeah, I get it. That's a beautiful thing. Abraham just did. He needed to just trust God. But think about what it was like that moment. He didn't know any of that. He thought he was having to kill his son just because God said so. Imagine what it was like holding him when he finally got up to the top and he finally gets it, there is no lamb, and he has to tell him, son, you're the lamb. Imagine what that must have been like. He doesn't have any good answers. He can't explain it. Imagine what it was like in that moment, because his best hope in that moment was, this is a miracle boy anyway, maybe what's going to happen is God's going to bring him back to life. But he doesn't know that. He just knows he's got to do what God said to do. Imagine saying your last goodbye before you start getting the knife out. And once again, he's, you can't explain. You don't have answers. Your son doesn't have answers. You're wanting him to trust God and love God and fear God, and you're doing your best. But in that moment, just imagine what's going through your head, what's going through your heart, what's shaking in your hands. Imagine what it was like to raise the knife. And get ready. Say one last prayer. This is your, this is your chance It's your chance to change your mind. This is how much I trust you. Sorry, son. One more time. Are you kidding me? None of us have gone through anything like that. Just because God said, go do it. And we did it. And yet Abraham did it. Now imagine that as the hand starts to plunge down, an actual angel physically shows up and stops your hand. And speaks to you and say, man, that's some serious faith, dude. Good job. That's the John Pryor version, by the way. You really need to read it straight out of the scripture. But I'm telling you. And, and then he says, and look over there. There's a, there is a, a ram in that thicket. Do you see that? That's the lamb. God did provide the lamb. And he's like, oh, and Isaac's like, oh, and imagine that moment. And here's the truth. Most people don't ever see that moment because most of us give up a long time before we ever get there. When the doubts come, when the fears come, when the, we don't have answers, when it just hurts too bad, we stop trusting. And so we never see God come through in the really crazy, amazing ways. I'd like the band to come this morning and lead us in one life song. And I'd like you to ask God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, God? I bet you anything, there's every person in here, there's something he wants you to do. There's something that, as I'm saying, you know, you really need to trust God. It's an individual answer to you. Some of you, it might be you never actually have given your life to God in the first place. You've never been baptized into Christ. You've never, maybe you want to join our church. Of course, we always invite you to do that. But no matter what, I invite you to ask God right in these moments as the music starts and as you stand, Would you pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? And and as you sing these words to him, would you say, okay, God, I'll do that. I will.